We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Jack Ramsey's Dan Morang, Brandon Sprague on a Sunday matinee mailbag edition here on Father's Day Sunday. Shout out to all the fathers out there. Uh, it is going to be, a, I say, a, a pretty packed show. Uh, you guys got in probably about 40 questions. I've got it narrowed down to some we got here in the rundown, and we'll deviate as we go. I uh, just want to, again, say thank you all for getting so many questions in. Uh, I know mm-hmm. as, we, as we get closer to the draft, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of the same general types of questions. Yeah. But we'll kind of hit, again, hit on as many as we can, and uh, we'll kind of work our way from there. Um, Brandon, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Just enjoying a nice Sunday afternoon. I've had a great Father's Day so, so you, far. You were a father, so happy Father's Day to I, you. Thank you. I'm a father twice over, um, and maybe more, but I don't know those kids. And uh, it's been a nice little Sunday afternoon. Yeah, we've... Uh, over here at the Meringue household, we've uh, we've already gotten one half of the family done. We're doing the other one here a little bit later, a little barbecue action. Uh, oh, you go you go both. Oh yeah, we do her. We did my side of the family. We went out to to brunch with my side of the family. And then we uh, her family is coming over here, and we're cooking dinner here. So uh, let's see, and that's um, maybe that's a slight cultural difference too. Because what mm-hmm. I would say is, I I wish my father in law a happy Father's Day. He's a great dad, mm-hmm. but they don't. They don't really observe. Not their thing. It, yeah, it's not really their thing. It's like, hey, happy Father's Day. Love you. Thank you. It's like, okay. thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> there you go. Peace be with you. See you later. Bye. <laughs> yeah, basically. Listen, man, I have had something to do on Saturday, Sunday, every weekend for the last three weeks. And I looked yeah. at the weather, and it's supposed to be like 78 to 81 next weekend. I sort of driving back from, from lunch with my wife. I looked at it. I go, there will be no plants next weekend. The sun is well, out. I'll believe that when I see the sun, actually. You know? Well, yeah. Okay, that's you say I'll believe that when you don't make plans. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes those plans are probably out of your control, I'd imagine, right? No, they've all been well, I mean, yes. They like there was yeah. birthdays and you know, yep. uh, bridal showers and right, right. all that stuff. But we've uh, we've got so much coming going on coming up that, you know, we're uh we're running to Harry Potter World in August. Like we're doing all kinds of stuff. So um 
I say all this, we have a packed show, so let's kind of get into it because, like I said, we got a ton of questions. Yeah, well. uh, great questions, by the way. Yes, and thank yeah. you all for being here, whether you're watching live, you're watching on the replay, or you're listening on the podcast. Like, review, subscribe, help us grow the show. Um, one of the first questions I wanted to get into, because I know you hate doing this, but I also thought it was a good mm. primer as far as like where we'll get from this. Uh, this and shout out to Michael Bodmer. Um, I, I want to say fan of the show, supporter of the show. Uh, all around good dude. Uh, he hit us with a um, bold predictions for the next five days, and he didn't put Blazers predictions. Yeah, he just bold predictions for the oh. next five days. And I'm gonna go with mine that I have. I don't know if it's bold anymore because the winds seem to have shifted slowly this way over the last couple of weeks. But this was, I was, uh, I, I I I turned my sail directly into this wind uh, probably two months ago was that I thought Chet was going to go number one. I think that's the one that I'm going to land on here, is I still okay. believe Chet is going to go number one. Uh, I don't think that Orlando can really go wrong with either Chet or Jabari. I still have those guys in the top two um, as far as for what they look for, as far as looking at their GM and uh, kind of what his, his history has been, which is to bet on length and athleticism. Uh, right. This is the guy who drafted Giannis, who drafted Thonmaker, uh, Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac. Like he has a type. <laughs> he likes freaks. He likes yeah. freaks and unusual characters mm. to see how how good they can be. Yes, and Chet is the freakiest of them. Um, yeah. I will say the other bold prediction I have here is that you will see at least three starting NBA centers traded on draft night. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say draft night because you can't do one of them on draft night in the week after. That mm. week leading up, so you may hear one announced on that. Can you can you give line. us the three? I'm I'm blanking after Aiton. So in my mind. I would say Aiton, Gobert, and Clint Capella. Okay, I was I wonder I was wondering if you were going to throw Miles in there. I think he's the dark horse, but I think yeah. for that to happen, one of those guys is going to end up in Indiana, or yeah, I think, Indiana I think gets Aiton, draft capital and gets yeah. Aiton yeah. Turner could completely flip. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to kind of see how that goes. When you look at this right now, and it doesn't have to be necessarily draft. Like, what, what are you? What is what's a bold prediction you're gonna you have going mm. into the NBA draft or over the next five days? Well, I, I think I'll, I'll hit on with what you started with. Mm. Um, you know, the record's pretty clear to me. After the combine, I was the way they were talking about Jabari going one. I thought that was a done deal. Mm. You and I did the show together, and we talked to Ken Barkley of You Better You Bet. Yep. And, and he says he's hearing all kinds of noise about Chet going. Number one, and I think if Chet goes one, that's when the bold predictions start because that's when I think chaos could potentially uh, unravel in the draft. I'm not because OKC's looking probably to move back at that point. I, they either looking to move back, or, or I wouldn't Jayden. be shocked, or they went Jaden Ivey. And, and then it's just chaos. Wow, what goes on after that? I think Sacramento has the opportunity to take either Bancaro or Jabari, and that that fourth pick all of a sudden the value skyrockets. Well, I think Houston's an interesting one because if OKC were to go Jay Nivey, which I'll just, if we're doing bold predictions, there you go. I wouldn't be shocked if Houston took a couple draft picks to slide back, mm -hmm. maybe not as convinced of taking Jabari or Paolo and they like somebody else with what they're doing. Uh, Sacramento, I definitely think is going to trade out of that four slot. That's been loud. That's been mm -hmm. abundantly clear. And uh, I like your center prediction, uh, but I'll say a team eight to 12 back is going to, do a massive trade up once the draft completely flips. We had somebody in the comments on YouTube this over this last couple of days. I usually try to keep up with the comments in there as they come in over the week or the following days after a show. And somebody said it doesn't matter if it's not a consensus draft. It no, absolutely it well, no, it absolutely does. 
what because, do you mean by that? Though? Because if it's not a consensus draft and all of a sudden guys start going in different spots, you have different teams with different boards with where they value guys. There's oh, not a oh, one, two, way, yeah. yeah. There's not a okay. one, two, three, four. Like, yeah, this is chalk. Everybody knows how this is going to go. And the right. fact that OKC has multiple picks in the lottery, you've got San Antonio in there. Those are two teams that never go with consensus and where they value guys. And so that can change things up. A perfect example, again, we brought this up a bunch, is Cam Johnson expected to go 21 to 25 in 2018. Well, that didn't happen. He went in the mm-hmm. lottery, and all of a sudden NBA teams went, huh? Right. I mean, Kobe White, wow, wow. <laughs> he went full Owen Wilson on us. Was he seven? Was he number seven? No, Cam went 11. Kobe went. No, Kobe. Oh, Kobe. Kobe, went, Kobe went seven, I believe. Yeah, the yeah. Bulls. Because you had a bunch of Tar Heels, and the third Tar Heel on that team, Nasir Little, is the one who fell down. The Kobe one still, like, you know, Kobe was a fine college player. I did not understand taking him in the top ten. I, I never viewed him. I was like, yep, that's a definite franchise starting piece right there. I, <sighs> and I think you got to aim for that. doesn't know if you're going to get it, but I think you got to aim for that if you have a seventh overall pick. I, I think the, the, the point there was that he has legitimate size, 6'4", with real athleticism. Uh, I'm a Kobe White truther, so... I, I'm still holding out hope for him. If nothing else, I just like him. I think so. he can just be. I think he could end up being like a really quality backup role huh. guy for a good team at some point. But you're obviously you're aiming higher with number seven, which yeah. again, if you're looking at the Portland Trailblazers for everybody who's out there, you know what I found really interesting. Speaking of bold predictions, is I have not heard outside of maybe like Rafael Barlow, who we had on. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a lot of like, mm, there's real bust potential with this guy. Everybody's great, and we get a lot of this in the in draft because you your access is denied if you're not gassing guys up, and whether people want to admit they're not old, well, you can say, well, why can't they be more honest? Well, then they don't get the access, then they don't get you know invited to interviews, they don't get invited to workouts, they don't get to talk to the coaches and the player circles, and that's kind of the the weird situation uh, for where that's at. Yeah, but. One thing I haven't heard a lot this year is who's going to bust. And as weird as this may sound, my bold prediction, and it's a guy that I like, and again, I think he kind of is like Kobe White, where I ignored some of the things that I shouldn't have ignored, mm-hmm. is Ben Matherin. You think Ben Matherin's going to be a bust? I don't think he's going to be a bust. I think he has bigger bust potential than people are willing to admit. Because I've heard a lot of people call him a safe pick, and I think a lot of it has to do with how he hmm. came out of the um, NCAA tournament, the the closing runs he had in, in the remember was the, the I think it was TC game? I think it was TCU yeah where he, he just, just went absolutely insane in the over end. like a five minute period, but we yeah. disregard the the other twenty eight minutes he was on the floor where he was awful, mm-hmm. and he actually had a lot of those games this year where. He had this these bursts of just potential. Some people could see the other side of the coin and go, I could see him being the, the burst guy as opposed to the bus guy. Right. But I, I wonder, and again, we had Rafael Barlow on. He talked about, I asked around after having him on, his half-court numbers. And that makes me a little, uh, a little bit more hesitant. Shaden's obviously the guy who I think has got the biggest swing, but I think the guy that most people are most comfortable on is Ben Matherin. He's because people are so comfortable on him. I'm, I'm like, should they be? Yeah. Is, is, there, is there a guy in there for you that, that you kind of have that feeling? 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I mean, if, if we're trying to go like the pendulum swinging from one drastic to the other, mm-hmm. mine's Chet. Okay. I mean, and, and I, I think Chet's going to be a fine NBA player. I'm not buying in on the superstar hype. I'm not buying in that he's going to be this number two franchise guy. I think he could be a really good piece for a team, but I could also see the pendulum going completely the other way. Like if he goes and he becomes a superstar, then cool. This take's not going to age that well. If you told me the dude can't stay healthy every year, and he kind of gets bodied, and his body type is even more unusual than even a Kevin Durant's, and that matters, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I do think he is going to be one of, if not the player of this draft, that comes into the league with the biggest target on his back. I think naturally you get this kid, oh, he's out of Gonzaga, he's 7'2", seven, he's seven his, his wingspan's like 7'5", whatever it is. He's insane, he's incredible paint defender. I think guys are going to want to go at him. And I think you see this from time to time. There's just a player in a draft that some guys really want to go against. Mm. And so I, you know, I'm not sold that Chet is like his floor is really good player and his ceiling is superstar. I don't, I don't buy that. I'm not saying that's like a consensus opinion, but I, I, I view him sometimes when I watch highlights and read things about him. And I, he's a smart kid, really good defensively, but I could also see the other side of that where, it for whatever it just not does not put itself together and the body type actually does play a factor in man. He he is I think he's skinnier than KD. And so like Oh we, no, he we, is. He's like 15 pounds to, uh, skinnier than KD is. And we comp him to KD because we're looking for a similar structure build and we haven't really seen much of this. 
the only difference is KD is so he was so gifted offensively that it, it's 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 hard to put into it's hard to pin, put an opinion on it. But I kind of view him as that guy for this draft. The thing that I push back on is I think his floor is a lot higher than people are willing to give him. Remember the idea of Zach Collins? <laughs> Shot blocking, uh, floor spacing, sure, help yes. defender. Yeah. yeah. This is that. Mm. That's what I when I look at Chet, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna rub my nose a million times, guys. I've got allergies that are killing me. Should have popped a Zyrtec. <laughs> no, yeah, let's I almost died last time. Um But I think he's he's actually that guy. For all the questions that again, I hate doing this to Zach because it's not really fair because it's not the it's not his fault the evaluation was off. With Chet, he delivered on the things that were theory with Zach. Like the the, the way that I evaluate young players is this. Particularly when you're talking about a player with that isn't Zion, that isn't Jaw, where you're just like, no, that guy's like, he's starting. Day one, he's starting. He's that guy. Chet may start from that, that be that guy. But what is the thing that they do that gets them on the floor? What do they do at an NBA level? And I look at Chet, and I know that he can hit a pull-up three in transition, and I know he can block shots, and I know he can play against mismatches and be a, a great help defender. Those are things I know he can do. And I think those alone allow him to keep his floor significantly higher. But if you're saying pendulum for how wildly good he could be yeah. versus the, the a very Where it goes the good, other way. a very good floor, then yeah, I, th- I think I can get there with you. I, th- I think so. I just I think Danny for me like I I love the Ben Matherin take uh, Raphael's point on the half court offensive numbers they you know that was something that I paid a big a, a lot of attention to because mm-hmm. we don't know exactly what Portland will or will not be doing we think we know but we don't um, so I like that Shaden Sharp I think is another good one the the only difficulty I have with those guys is I don't think those guys by almost anybody is viewed as the same high watermark as Chet. And so I'm going with yeah. the highest water. Like Jabari could be this, right? Like Chet, Jabari, Paolo, Jaden. I kind of put all of them in that that upper tier of this draft. And I kind of put Keegan Murray, Ben Matherin, uh, Tari Eason. You know, I, there's, there's like a next level tier where, yeah, they could absolutely bust. But I kind of go more towards the top end tier dudes. And, you know, we'll see. I'm I'm really curious and I can't wait to see Chet. I'll be rooting for Chet to be to do good. But of anybody from boom to bust, I kind of view him the most. And maybe Matherin sounds weird to some folks because he doesn't necessarily strike people as like this guy, but I've heard people say he's a great three and D also. I could see him being like a, a high end scorer, And I'm like, I like Ben Matherin. I really do. But the more I dug into it, the more I was like, is he just, you know, kind of like a Ben McLemore type player. I, I was literally going to say his, his low, his floor is Ben McLemore to me. And that's, again, that's not a bad player, but it's kind of funny because you look at where Ben was drafted and it's like, yeah. there's always those players in that five, six, seven, eight range where you're like, you get some good ones, Damian sure. Lord, you get some bad ones, Thomas Robinson. Yeah. Just, you just never know in this range. Speaking of this range, uh, this was a really interesting question that I liked. Uh, this was from uh, Andrew John at AJ underscore VD. If you could be a fly on the wall in the draft war room for two draft from Blazers past, which two would you pick? Um, 
Well, I'd love to go back to 2017. I will forever want to go back to 2017 because I, I actually want to hear the conversations that were had about the back-end talent after Zach, the Bams, the OGs, the John Collins, and we've never really been given a description outside of some BS answer. And the second is pretty easy. It's 1978. I think it's the most overlooked Blazers draft that they ever had. Uh, we talk a lot about Bowie, Jordan, KD, Odin. Man, a lot of those were consensus picks and ideas because of the way the league was structured and people were playing. Um, but if you act 78, I mean, they, they had the number one pick. They chose Michael Thompson. Larry Bird went six picks later. Mm. They had another pick in that draft. They got, I believe, in a trade from either Chicago or Seattle. And they went Ron Brewer and Reggie Theus was picked two later. So, I mean, you could have walked away from that draft with a Reggie Theus and a, and a Larry Bird. Maybe the organization is in a slightly different spot. So, I think it's the most underrated draft for the team for sure. And those would probably be two um, that I would, I would probably pick if I could be a fly on the wall. Especially with the Thompson. Thompson was a fine player. But I really love to hear the, the explanation uh, for why Portland ended up going him over Larry. Because you're seemingly drafting similar positions i like those those are those are two good ones i went more recent and my reasoning isn't about the level of player but about the evaluation process and how they went about doing things number one is 2007 okay i'm sorry 2006 the brandon roy draft yeah if you go back and look at the the string of transactions that they did on that night Kevin Pritchard didn't put his phone down. Mm-hmm. The stuff that they did was absolutely bonkers to get Brandon, to get LaMarcus, and everything else that they did in that draft. I think they ended up moving 12 players on draft night around through various trades to get ultimately what they wanted. Yeah. It was bonkers. And I would have loved to have been in that room while Paul is – Okay, okay, yeah, let's do this. Because that's the busiest draft night in this franchise's history, and it's not close. Like, everything, they they got two top ten picks. Yeah, they moved a lot of things around at the top ten to get L.A. and Roy. I mean, that is nuts when you Mm -hmm. think about it. And they got the number two pick in LaMarcus Aldridge, who was not considered necessarily the prize after the next year, which is crazy to think about. And the other one for me is 2017 to understand the process behind that, what went into that evaluation, and where did it all fall apart? There is, Danny, there's always, I mean, that will forever in my life, that will be easily in the top three of drafts of what happened here. Could you please walk me, can we, can you give me the notes? I'd love to read just the notes because there is a part of me, despite what anybody, whether they covered the team or not, would tell me that there is a, a legitimate part I'm put tinfoil hat on here. I'll pretend I have it on because <laughs> uh, I lost it when I moved. There is there is a part of me, Danny, that truly wholeheartedly believes he did not do his due diligence. He did mm-hmm. not do his research. And he was sold on taking Zach Collins and thought his up. He just, for whatever reason, thought that dude has the upside of all upsides. And that's the well, guy. We, I we heard from have. Bam, from, from Rafael uh, Barlow. He said that they he th- he thought they took Zach over him because Zach was a sexier pick and he could yeah. shoot, which is hilarious because Zach attempted twelve threes at Gonzaga. He's not a shooter, and so I I just I I will forever love and I'd love to hear Neil with anybody on true just, serum on true serum yeah. really walk us through that because if you told me yeah you know I quit scouting I I'm taking Zach no matter what I I wouldn't be floored by that admission. 
or there was a level of I know better. I mean, he had a lot of hubris. There's no doubt. But that was that was one question that I, I really liked as far as um, some revisionist history, certainly, but just kind of where where that all went. Uh, the other one, uh, I should say that one. Another question here. We kind of touched on this last or on Thursday, but I kind of want to circle back to this because it's a more pointed question. This is from Jeff Burchett at JD Burchett. Best offseason, OG and Grant, OG and Collins, Grant Collins, or just Aiden. After you choose, how did it happen? Picks, exceptions, all that. There's there's more options that I think that are out there. But if you're looking at a best possible best possible outcome, it's getting two of those guys. However you shape it. But what is a good well done off season from what we have heard that is out there is it Lou Dort and OG Ananobi is it John Collins and Lou Dort like what does that look like in your mind mm. as far as what's a what's a good let me good better best scenario for you uh best is OG and John mm. uh with 16 returning uh Best, better, what is it? What would you say? Best? Uh, good, better, best. Good, better, best. Better would be uh, getting probably OG and swinging in, surprisingly, some veteran player that could help them substantially that maybe we're not talking the about. The Rudy Gay of positions. where you're Something like, like that. It's a known quantity. We're like, oh, yeah, no, that's a good move. I like that. I think, I mean, you know, think Nick Batum 2.0, maybe Nick Batum again. Something, Perfect. you know. Um, and then, you know, good, good to me is, I don't know. Cause I, I feel conflicted on that answer. I, I feel like it's good. Seems like a knockdown here. And I, I, I've made it abundantly clear. I don't think it's the worst possible outcome. If you end up drafting seventh, I know that's mm-hmm. not something they want to do, but I, I value young assets and in a league that's ever expanding with talent everywhere. And guys popping up on all of these teams, all these role dudes, these late first, these second round picks, like they're all over this league right now. I think there could be a really good player had at number seven. Um, obviously, pie in the sky, too, I still think is a good pick. And I'll kind of wedge it in here. John in 16. I continue to think John Collins, he's 24 years old. He'd cost you a couple bucks. See, I, I'd put that in the in a better category. Well, sure. That's But I'm, I'm wedging. I'm mm-hmm. just I'm okay, giving okay. you because because. Sure. And I really would love to have 16 back, too, because I think that's an asset. Again, you could go get one of these hyper-athletic dudes who maybe they're not the most skilled offensive player, but this team's going to need some defense. And I don't want to see a guy played completely off the floor, but it's something we know that they're going to covet. Athletic mobile wings, uh, forward you know, wing types who can guard uh, alternate positions. But if they end up with just seven and then trying to figure it out, Dame's healthy, Ant's coming back. It sounds like you're going to sign Yusuf Nurkic. Like, this team is a playoff team, and then you get to add a young piece. So it might be the worst-case scenario for everybody else. I don't think it's the worst possible thing is that they end up drafting their pick at number seven. I would call them just getting number seven and drafting. I'd call that a failure. But we don't know. See, this is where I would stop short of that. I don't know what other moves they would make. Could they They, they, dangle it? They have to use the TPE. Sure. Like, they have to bring some – like. Hundred percent. Like they they need to bring in some. If, if if they just use the pick, I would I would call it a failure. But I'm more I, looking at just draft day. No, no, I, I am too. But I think they need to do it on draft day. Like it's not impossible sure. to do it later. But 
most of the business I think is going to be conducted on draft night. Um, it's almost like you, you read the rundown here and you know where I'm going next year. Uh, my good, better, best good, I think is, is honestly trading for any of those guys. Any single mm-hmm. one of those guys is a good better is any combination of a top 15, 16 pick. And one of those guys best you're landing two of those guys. Sure. And that, that's kind of how I've structured this in my head. And other names could go into those positions. Uh, if somebody popped on draft night, a team mm-hmm. sees something, a guy falls down to seven, they figure something else out around those sides, around that 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 particular pick. Um, but it's kind of funny. Again, the next question I had here was from Alexander Nagels at Alex Nagels. How okay would you with how okay would you be with them keeping and using the seventh pick? I've made made it abundantly clear. I, I know that's not number one on the on the power ranking scale of one Joe Cronin. I know he clearly wants to move that pick, and everything is kind of telling us that they will. But if they end up using it, I, I can man. Like I'm just not going to sit in this outrage hot take culture where you know if they draft a player at seven, oh, it's a complete failure because in two years half of those opinions could be absolutely stupid, and we look back and go that player was pretty good. I also am not completely dismissing the idea that Chet going one shakes the living hell out of the draft. Mm-hmm. And maybe they have an opportunity to move up four and Paolo and Jabari fall. Are we still walking away going, well, they had to use their draft pick. I don't know if we are. I think if we had Paolo or Jabari, we'd be ecstatic with that. So I'm not I'm not going to completely destroy them if they use the seventh pick. We wanted them to tank for a good pick. It didn't quite go as high as we wanted, but they ended up doing what they needed to do, ripping the Band-Aid and taking some of the hair off with it. It hurts. It doesn't look great because there's still a patch now with no hair. But, I mean, having a young asset in a piece is something to build with. It's something to hopefully uh, hopefully develop with. Um, and as long as Dame is committed, then, you know, you get two, three That's windows That's where I was going to go next. If you end up foregoing your assets mm-hmm. to move up to number four, yeah, I think there's a very strong chance that the Damian Lillard time is accelerated drastically. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say this, man. And, and I say this with absolute love of that dude. Uh, give him a statue, give him ownership stake, uh, retire the jersey the day after he retires. Like, do it all, right? Give him the key to the goddamn city. He doesn't have it already. If that's the case, if that's what we're dealing with, just what, what you're holding the team hostage in a way. Stars you do not, that. I mean, stars do that. And I don't, sure. and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It can well, be. It's, it's not always a bad thing, but I think it, drastically changes how you operate does it does it, not? it absolutely does and that's where where we're at right now and that's the thing is everybody's like well what do we do this in best possible scenario and it's like i am looking at everything through the lens of what i have heard and what we have been told and what's going on behind the scenes sure and every bit of that and you know this mm-hmm. is about competing much sooner than even if Bancaro or Smith is available there for and they move up the likelihood of them being an Evan Mobley the which is a stupidly good rookie doesn't get them to where they need to be even in two years probably yeah and I think but that's what changes everything the, the only problem and pushback I have to that is I don't like that comp uh let's say they're below what you're saying Evan Mobley which mm-hmm. I believe because Evan Mobley was godlike right yes. But if you're below that, you're still a pretty good player. Would you agree? Yeah, I, again, I, I'm not disagreeing no, with that no, part of would it. Would you agree? Would you yes, agree? Yes, absolutely. Okay. What would Evan Mobley or a slightly 
less version of Evan Mobley be with Damian Lillard instead of Darius Garland, unproven young player in the playoffs. See, like I, they didn't, think, they didn't win anything. This no, year. they got to the playoffs and it was a great story. And I think they're set up for the future. But I think of an Evan Mobley esque type, and I know I'm just using that, and the skill level no, no, might no. not be there. That's that's a good team. Like, what are we looking for here? Is is the bar for the franchise player the second round or better? Because I just I, I wouldn't tell you I wouldn't I tell think, him to hold his breath. I think it is. Okay, well, I don't know if this team and is going to be able to pull that off. Again, that's why threading that needle, and that's why it's so important that they, if they want that, that they go towards landing a, a, a guy like an OG or something along those lines. Which I think is clear, Danny, that they're that's Which, what they're What they're trying for. to do, yeah. exactly. And it's, it's not necessarily like, what do I think or, or what do I want them to do or sure. what would be the best possible scenario, again, of spreadsheet basketball. It's more 100%. of this is what I think they're going to do based on what – has been out there, what I've heard. And again, when you look at Cleveland, they don't have anybody. Their entire core is young. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this. You don't see these situations. Let's look at Golden State. Perfect example. They have two years where they're they're awful. You get Moody. You get Kaminga, guys who are super young. And when you look at where they are, they they aren't ready. And those are, I think they're both going to be solid players. I think Kaminga has a chance to be incredibly special. Sure. But even their best possible version is beyond this, the Steph, Clay, Dre timeline. And whether or not that's a good thing for Portland on the next cycle and what that means kind of going yeah. forward is, is it's, it's, it's this really like ubiquitous, stupid spot to be. I mean, it is a stupid spot to be. I think it's the result of bad management for three years, four years, mm-hmm. but. I also like the problem with Golden State. You could be right, Kaminga. Hell, Wiseman's coming back healthy. Maybe Wiseman ends up being a dude. We, like, yeah, we don't he was a number that. two pick for a reason. Like they took him over uh, over uh, Lamelo Ball, right? Yeah. And everybody's like, "Oh, Lamelo with that <laughs> offense, sure." But like the point is, it's nice to know that your young players can take three years or four years to develop because you still have Stephen Mother Effin Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. They don't have that. So, yes, Dame's healthy. Ant had a good 28-game stretch. Nurkic has the capability of being a productive, good center. Those are not those three. So, I just, I just don't – I don't I don't know, man. Maybe I'm the idiot here and Dame knows what he's thinking. But it takes two to tango. We know Joe is shopping the pick. We know Joe is trying to make that trade. And if nobody bites, I, I, don't, I don't know how you don't take that into account, I guess, from Dame's side going into the draft and if you are and you're not happy with that then you know what are we talking about here yeah i think it's it kind of juxtaposes all of these different things this is not a scenario where you're the houston rockets or the oklahoma city thunder where the vision the path is very clear yeah for what you're trying to do getting the most talented players regardless of timeline Right. The Blazers are trying to get the most talented players on a very specific timeline making a certain amount of money. Like if you're trying to th- this is like trying to thread a needle that's still or like three needles that are all moving at different speeds up and down and trying to get it all in one pass. And I think that's what makes this so difficult is that you might get one, you might get two, the likelihood you get all three is very very difficult. And it just makes it harder to evaluate what they can or can't do and how successful they can really be. Yeah, and I think the thing about that for me too is this goes back to 
you know, good, better, best mm-hmm. scenario. OG is probably the player I'd imagine you'd want because he's a yeah. six, seven dynamic wing. He's 24. But if that is an instant, Hey, we're not actually going to shop him. And that's not the good, that's not the best package. We want a Rudy Gobert type. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you move on. Collins in 16 to me is easily number two because you still get to use a draft pick. You can yeah. still go get a young asset and say, Hey, go be a bench guy. And you have a starting caliber, no questions asked player. Absolutely. And if worst case scenario happens, this rookie dominates in camp. You just find a way to get him on the floor. Maybe he starts. I mean, I don't know. What if he's a three? And then you get Nurk, Collins, rookie. God, hold your breath and cross your fingers. Ant and Dane. Like, there could be worse ways to build a starting five than that. Especially if you did, let's say you did that, you didn't do any other additional big moves. So you keep Hart, right. you keep Little, uh, yes. Watford. Your second round pick, maybe you get a rotation Pat Connaughton-esque player down the line. You're like, sure. oh, you can put him on the floor. And you're like, let's just say Stranded Watford, who got thrown to the Wolves, basically, because of all the injuries. And you're like, oh, no, it's a viable NBA player. And then they use their, their MLE, uh, and they add a guy to their roster, another big. Is that – you've basically traded – CJ, Norm, uh, Cove, Nance for Collins, rookie, insert MLE player here. Your books look better and your and heart. I mean, four years ago, that's an awful, you know, scenario and outcome. I'd say today, I'm not really that upset by it. That's, like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm just not one of these people that's like, well, you know, they had a million offers for CJ McCollum's contract. I just, I, I, I'm not going to be one to buy into all that stuff. Like, I know we love CJ. He'll get his jersey retired and all that. He'll get his flowers. But, you know, it was a tough spot and it was long delayed. And ultimately, when that happens, you lose leverage. And people knew in this league that they were ultimately going to have to break that up, especially once Neil left. And CJ admitted this out loud. It's like, yeah, when Neil got fired, I knew it was over because he, he knew. was a shield. Yeah, he knew he was Neil's dude. Yeah. And so the league knew that too. It was easy to read. You and I, you know, we know people attached to the team. We talk to other people. I don't cover the team on a day-to-day basis. I knew that. Like that that was the obvious thing. You don't think a general manager of the NBA knew that? So I mean, Griff got- Griff put it out in the story after the deal was done is that as soon as Neil was fired, he called. Yes. Because he knew. Everybody knew. And so, you know, again, not the out, the best outcome you'd want with a player of that caliber, but again, a move three or four years too late, and you have to pay a bit of the consequence for that. Considering where they're at now, I, I would call that return Hart, Collins, 16 pick, and your book's making a hell of a lot more sense. Yeah. A pretty decent return for C.J. Norm, Cove, Nance. Yes. Best return? No. Decent no. return? Yes, considering the corner that Neil backed them into, the fact that you and that's, that I I think people underestimate just how much the books were, were screwed. They they just <laughs> they, they they didn't they didn't have any way to get anything else done, or they were just choosing to be oblivious to the obvious. Yeah, and it's not about like whether or not the what Jody would spend. I'm not I'm not talking about that part of it. I'm talking about functional moves. They didn't have contracts that made sense. They didn't no. have the capacity to do anything else beyond what they had done to make functional change without trading one of CJ or Nurk. Right. And that was kind of where they were. Um, draft night craziness. I have, I have in here is kind of the next deal. Uh, 
and this was kind of a, a situation of what do you expect kind of the timeline to be as far as how things are going to go. And I got like eight different versions of this. And this is this is one from from uh, Craig on Spock uh, at Spock zero nine. When do you expect the earliest we will hear if we trade the seventh pick draft night or earlier? Um, there was another one like, what do you expect for as far as the timing goes? I would expect at this point, unless there is a deal that absolutely blows Portland out of the water, that the clock will start on their pick before they trade it, because that pick is never more valuable than it is when the clock is active because everybody knows who is available at that exact moment. I think Joe though, before the clock starts, Joe will have a, a pretty good idea though, of which teams are even remote. They, they've still they've got, a, they've got it. deals that are lined up for yeah. if X, Y kind of scenarios. There's, there's probably a 60 second clock where they get to the one minute mark of their pick and they're like, okay, there's no deals. We have to take the pick. We're taking the best player that we think is the best player in this draft at this spot. And there you go. I would hope that in this order, because again, I, I I largely agree with what you're saying. Draft night, I think, is when we find out everything. Uh, Sacramento seems to be the only real one that legitimately on a national level has been floated out there as they're looking. I know the rumor mill stuff with Portland's there, but Woj isn't going on the NBA Finals broadcast openly saying Portland's trading that pick. Shop, 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 shop. He's out there at QVC right now with Sacramento. Man, Sacramento was, they're all kinds of desperate. I think it's draft night. I think the order is make big trade, whether John or 16, OG, if that's even available. And then I think the second part of that is trade up, at least I'd hope. Can you move up and entice a Sacramento with the seventh pick and, I don't know, a Nas in the 2025 buck pick? I don't know. Can you? Should you? I don't know. But can you make that move where you get up and maybe sneakily walk out of there with a Palo or a Jabari? And then the third is you draft the best player that you think is the best player. I, I'm I'm there with you. I, I think there's gonna it's gonna be basically on the clock kind of a situation. Now here's the other thing. I, I have you and I have said this for months now because of the free agent class and because of how close it is to free agency this year. I don't believe, or I I believe that this is going to be one of the busiest draft nights we've ever seen. Like there's going to be trades on trades on trades on trades because the way right. teams are going to get better this offseason is by trading, not through free agency. And the best night to do that is on draft night because you want to have you want to know what you have going into free agency. Yep. So this is the night to make it happen if you're gonna make moves. That isn't to say that there won't be trades further down the line, but there's gonna be some sign in trades, I, I firmly believe, through free agency. But the big moves, I think, are going to happen for the most part on draft night. And you're going to see draft picks move. You're going to see players move. Players for future picks. Players for picks right now. OKC somehow accumulating even more picks. Somehow they'll, they'll find a way to come into a draft with 300 picks and they'll leave with 400. Um, I, I think those are the places, I think, or the, things, the, the type of things you're going to end up seeing come draft night. Um, I thought this was fun because uh, I did a little bit of this last season. Uh, Scott at Scooter five six nine eight one one. Will you send cryptic tweets when you hear rumors this week, such as "boom" or "hold on to your shorts"? I have one oh. cryptic tweet. Wee wee. That is it, and that is when I know something's Upside done. Upside down smiley face. Wee. Yeah, that is when I know something's done. That's. I still I still get texts from Danny where we're talking about something, and we text the other day about a a, a rumor that he had heard. <laughs> 
And we were going back and forth on our thoughts on it. And then he just ended the conversation with upside down smiley face, which to me is I, all I hear is wee. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would definitely, I will, if I, if I get anything confirmed, which I had confirmed on the, the uh, Snell and Zeller stuff, I had confirmed on the CJ trade, all that kind of thing. Um, those are the, those are the things that I would confirm. But I'm not an NBA information broker or anything along those lines. But if I can have some fun, I will. That's that's kind of how I see it. I'm one of those. Uh, I think you're the friend who doesn't know the good friends, and so you're hanging out with a group of them, and they're talking about those other friends you don't hang out with, and you obtain some of that information. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep, pretty much. Um, Marcus Aaron's at Marcus Aaron's. I've seen a, a bunch of this version. How do you guys feel about drafting a guard like Sharp at seven and trading Ant to upgrade the three or the four? I love Ant. I'm starting to come around this idea. He says, I should have said a sign and trade since Ant is an RFA. I've seen a lot of this. Well, they should trade Anthony Simons. No, they shouldn't. They should not take their their value player who has shown significant upside and trade him so that they can draft a young player. Unless they're getting a no, absolute no, no. Uh, yeah. monster yes. in return, it should not even be on the table. If you're not, if we're not talking about him being part of a package involving Joel Embiid, I'm not. Jalen Brown, yeah, but that, that's not happening. Again, like, the, but that's, that's what I'm that's saying. Just like, got to the finals. That's not happening. There's just no way you look at that because as much as Ant is going to get paid, and he's going to get paid. He's right, not right. the whole point of moving on from CJ McCollum was that you got players that made sense that fit into salary slots mm-hmm. going forward. And if Ant comes out and does exactly what I think he's going to do, which is perform, and he performs at a level that is above his pay grade immediately, yeah. then he becomes very valuable. And then when the TV deal comes, he becomes, holy crap, valuable. <laughs> then you start looking at situations like the Golden State Warriors in 2016-17 when they had the massive cap spike and the ability to bring in Kevin Durant. Now the yeah. Blazers have Anthony Simons, 20.5 rebound, 5 assist guy at $20 million, which will be an absolute bargain on the probably $15 billion TV deal that hits that, that year. And the cap spikes astronomically and the Blazers can fit a player in there that they wouldn't have otherwise because they didn't get things done. Uh, yeah. just, I, I've seen a lot of that going on on, on uh, Rep City Reddit. I've seen it on Blazers Edge. I've seen it on Twitter. Guys, listen, you, you, you know where I stand on Anthony. Like that's, but even if I am, even if I take my, my emotions out of it and go, what makes sense? You, it has to be a guy that hits. Like it, it cannot be a, you know, spin the spin the uh, the cylinder and go play a little bit of roulette. Like it's just yeah. I mean, are you on the same kind of wagon here, or where 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 do you stand? No, I I I don't really have much to add. I think what you're saying is, you are a ant super fan, but like everything you're saying, it that's the standpoint of the franchise. And I think that's abundantly clear. It's why they're willing to give him 18 to $22 million a year to say, yeah, we're not really interested in selling off our young asset for another young asset. So unless you're including, you know, again, I'm, I'm just spitballing with names. Like unless you're getting Joel Embiid, all-star type talent back, like all NBA guys, 
I don't think Cronin and this organization are going to entertain that thought at all. Uh, from Daniel at Priest Lake Dan, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being men and 10 being holy crap on a crap stick, WTF is this team thinking? How do you think this draft will go for the Blazers, Brandon? Well, I've continued to maintain the position. Portland doesn't get nice things. So they draft seventh and they draft a wing of some point, of some caliber. And there's a couple second round draft picks that we do a podcast. We go, oh, I'm kind of interested. If we take a look at the film, what does it tell us? Well, it tells us that he could buy, he could bust. Or he, he could be the next Draymond Green. He could be the next Draymond Green, Gary Trent again. Oh, like, God. I, I, I think that's kind of where I'm ultimately. I put a number on it, one to ten. Like 10 being they hit on what they want? Uh, 10 was, holy crap, what is this team thinking? And one is meh. So I think the sweet spot is like five or six. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle of that. Okay. I'm just, I'm not expecting fireworks. So please surprise the living hell out of me. Okay. I think I'm. Where, where are you at? I think I'm there. I, I, I think I'm on like a seven or eight. I, I think they're going to, I think it's going to be spicy. I hope to God you're right, man. I mean, you're I not, really you do. and I have talked a million times off, off, offline about this. I, I genuinely believe that. Then again, I genuinely believe that they would do better in the lottery. So, my my record recently on what my genuinely believe on things that I can't control, uh, not great, Bob. Not great. <laughs> um, I this is an interesting question, but I kind of wanted to talk about this real quick. This is from Matthew at Reverend Romulus. Should I be more upset that the Blazers didn't try to hire Ime Yudoka or that Chauncey didn't bring in Rashid Wallace as an assistant? That's a fun question. Um, right. I have no, I have no real interest in Rashid Wallace as a coach. I know it's a fun thing to talk about. Uh-huh. I didn't hear great things from his Memphis stint that nope. lasted all of a calendar year. Nor, nor, nor New York. Uh, and look, I, I don't think Ime takes that kind of talent single-handedly to the finals, but I think he did exactly what he needed to do to handle the personality types to motivate him, and he did some good X's and O's things. To the point where, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say the AMA over Chauncey thing because one actually had a proven resume. The other one was the former GM's friend. He could end up being the good coach and the right guy, but we don't know after one year. We were talking about this in January when they were in a tailspin because there was real talk about did they hire the wrong coach. I still think people have that opinion. I think that's a pretty big opinion in Portland. No, I'm, I'm talking about Boston with with uh, Eme. Oh, Remember, oh they, yeah, they almost right. There was like there was real talk of people were they, talking about firing they, him. They, they can him. Yeah, they yeah. came in in his first year. Yeah, like it was it was not good, folks. And I think it's a very similar situation to Chauncey because Chauncey and Eme they kind of mirrored each other to start the season as far as both teams starting out poorly, throwing guys under the bus in press conferences. Oh, yeah. um, Talking about quite a few things publicly that I don't think in the past were things that coaches really have done, regardless of their former players or not. I think they had some growing pains on both sides, but one team got their shit together in Boston. The other one decided to pack theirs up. And I think that you, after a while, you got to see that, hey, no, Chauncey or uh, Ime is, they figured this out. They've got some buy-in. Um, I, I, I still think there's plenty of things they have to figure out. But looking at where they are now, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to see that Chauncey could have the same kind of impact. And again, for those that are out there that don't know, I think coaching has an impact, but the impact that it has, I think, is exaggerated quite a bit. But do I think it is something that you could get more buy-in? Yes, I think you started to see it in Portland, towards even though they were getting their ass kicked. I think you started to see buy-in in a particular style being 
a little bit more. Um, I don't want to say I don't want to keep using the word buy-in, but I I think that's the, probably the best thing. A particular style that I think guys would, I, would, would be more akin to. I think the tough thing with that, I mean, you you could be right. I think the tough thing for me on that is we we were watching guys literally fighting for their career lives. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to get buy-in from dudes who are aiming for a legitimate second contract, versus if you have a John Collins who just came from a slightly disgruntled situation. Now he's in Portland. How delicate is it? You got Anthony Simons going from ball dominant to playing off the ball more. A little bit more off, yeah. There's going to be A little more changes. off, 100%. And I think that's the balancing of ego personality, whereas I know Chauncey, I think in those instances, is going to harken back to Larry Brown and Ty Lue. And I would go the other way where Ime, I think, is going to go back to Pop, who he played and coached with. And so – to me, I think there's one of those guys. Larry's an all-timer, but Chauncey was a player, so it's different. Whereas Ime got to be an assistant mm-hmm. and see it through the coach's for eyes. For what, nine years? For nine years after playing for Pop. So we got the player side and the coaching side, whereas Chauncey just saw it through the player's eyes with Larry, and he got six months with Ty Lue. And I think that's a massive difference. And spent some time with a bunch of coaches in the off-seasons at ESPN. Uh, yes. Yeah. Like that's that's as, that's right. as far as that stuff goes. Um I think it's going to be interesting kind of, kind of see how that goes. But as far as the, the Blazers not doing it, um, if you want to blame somebody, blame Neil. <laughs> well, but what, so we both agree, though, it's Ime over Chauncey versus the Rasheed part just because we Oh, for sure. Listen I, listen, I love Sheed, but as far yeah. as the coaching side of stuff, I think he's mostly just a – I think Sheed's a positional coach guy. Sure. Um, Wiseman has said a ton, and, and Jalen Duran has said a ton, like how much they value him, mm-hmm. how much they value Sheed. But also, you look at Jalen Duran; you're not exactly uh, blown away by his post game. Well, not everybody's Rasheed Wallace. Again, <laughs> how how good of a teacher is he? We're talking about like making a guy better versus how good is he as, as a teacher as, as far as getting guys to understand what it takes to be at the NBA sure. level. So sure. I, I I don't know. That's that's the thing. So uh, as far as that stuff goes, that's kind of ultimately where I end up. And I wanted to say this. I, I saw I thought my 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 watch slash phone went off a little bit ago. The Blazers did announce they will have another workout tomorrow. Oh, did we not, get the names? Didn't get the names yet. Okay. But I wanted to address this because we did a little bit on the show last time. The Blazers did have kind of a quasi workout or quasi secret workout on Thursday, where Colin Gillespie and um, somebody else showed up. I'm totally blanking on the name now. Um, Oh jeez! Oh, I'm I'm blanking too. That's okay. I've got it in my notes here. Give me one okay. second. I can't even remember now. Oh, I'm sorry. Josh Minot from Memphis. Speaking of Memphis, might not play. But they there's those two, and I believe four others. I believe there's six players that had a workout. But it was kind of interesting that they had so many guys in that didn't that they didn't have a uh, uh, non-secret workout for, which was kind of a weird spot to, to kind of be in. But the uh, the other side of this is again, even this week, the Blazers are bringing more guys in for workouts, so they're still trying to do as much due diligence as it as it takes before they get up there. Yeah, I just found that to be interesting that they're still grabbing as much intel as they can, which they should. I'm, I'm glad to see this. Get as yeah. much intel as you can. Bring as many guys in as you can. Um, we're going to kind of wrap it up because you got to go to your other show. I do, yes. yes. So, <laughs> this is the danger zone right now. Yeah, nope. Um, draft night. 
total I'm, I am short circuiting right now draft yeah. night we will have the live draft party I had a couple tweets in here hey what do we need to know I will post the link on the public side on YouTube as well as Twitter the only thing you need to have is the ability to sign in and show that you have ESPN so as long as you have ESPN, ESPN plus cable whatever whatever yeah. your streaming solution is cable package whatever ESPN plus subscription that's all you need to do is verify your TV service, and we will have the live watch party going in there. And that is open to everybody, whether you're a paid subscriber or not. And Scott Jones says, Danny, is your technology ready for the draft party? Yes, everything <laughs> is being rebuilt. Everything is being rebuilt on Wednesday and tested to make sure that we're good to go. Oh, um, God, that definitely doesn't sound dangerous at all. <laughs> Everything's being torn down to the studs. We're starting the day before the draft, and we'll be okay. It take, it's going to take me probably about four or five hours to build it all back up, but uh, everything will be built up from scratch so I know that the stack is good. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to, s- to see which, which way things go in the first couple yeah. picks. And honestly, uh, I'm excited, man. And again, I, I hope all of you guys can be there. It'll be fun. My plan as of right now is the we will do the draft party uh, and probably go into the second round. But as things start to wind down, uh, we will wrap up the show, and I'm going to haul ass from here to the practice facility. Uh, oh, you are going to go to the PF? If yeah, I'm going to wait and see what they do for the press conference. But if we do yeah. have the, the late, after, or late evening press conference, which they usually do, um, I will try to get down there. The Blazers will have their live draft show that they're doing from Moda, I believe. So I would imagine that they would probably end up doing the PF stuff a little bit later because as far as the setup, it goes in between both those. Um, it's going to be interesting. That's that's, yeah. that's all I'll say. But, uh, again, that'll be open for everybody. That'll be a part of Watch Playback. You can find us across everything. We may simulstream on YouTube and Watch Playback at the same time for those that can't get the authentication on ESPN. But some technical bug- bugs I need to work out on that end. But other than that, I think we are good to go. Uh, you got anything else, Brandon? No. All right, I think well, uh, Thursday will be exciting. Yeah, Thursday we will catch you guys then. Again, I will tweet out the links. I will tweet it from my account, from the Jack Ramsey's account. I'll put it on IG. I'll put it on YouTube. Brandon will retweet it. You, if, you should not have any trouble finding it. It will probably no, be up on no. Blazer's Edge as well. Yeah. Um, but we will see you guys then. Uh, otherwise, take care. We will catch you guys later uh, Thursday night. Uh, like, rate, view, subscribe. Help us grow the show. If you enjoy us, if you hate us, whatever, you, whatever it is, we appreciate you. Uh, we'll see you all Thursday night. You can find us on social media at Nanny Morang, at Brandon Sprague, at Jack Ramsey's. Email the show, jackramsey's at gmail.com. Uh, everybody have a wonderful Father's Day, Juneteenth, whatever it is you're celebrating. Uh, and we will catch you guys on Thursday night for the actual no BS NBA draft. And we'll have a much clearer picture uh, from where we were on December 6th. When Neil she was fired to what the next iteration of the Portland Trailblazers is going to look like. So uh, excited to see you all there. We will catch you then. Take care. Have a wonderful, wonderful night. Talk soon. Bye.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.